0: Empire
1: Call the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are It's a serious question
0: I appreciate your passion, I share it I've addressed this question, I've addressed my
1: personal feelings And I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news listening to Just Ask the Question, adventures in reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and today with me is a fellow member of the White House Press Corps and an author, Sharice Date, whose new book, The Useful Idiot, will be coming to you soon. And we're going to talk a little bit about that and, of course, about covering the American president, the useful idiot, Donald Trump. sure he'll join us when we come back. three, uh, I screwed that up, three, two, one. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Caram, and with me today is Sharish Date, the uh, Senior White House Correspondent for the Huffington Post, author, and of course, uh, a fellow compatriot in the White House press briefing room. Uh, so Sharish, you got a book coming out called The Useful Idiot, and to just, since the title of this, I I, I can share with you, I took the title of this podcast from Helen, um, who once told me with well, the first day I was in the uh-huh. White House briefing room, she said, Brian, it doesn't matter if they answer the question. doesn't matter what the answer is. Just ask the question. So, I, uh, you know, they, that way they can't deny that the issue has been before them. So right. that's kind of been my guiding principle ever since. And with Helen and Sam as my mentors, I've tried to uh, have fun in the White House. So to just <laughs> ask the question, why did you name your book? a useful idiot well because as hard
0: as it may uh as hard as it may be to believe for 49 to 70 percent of the country depending on what poll you look at there were some people who actually wanted trump to get elected badly wanted him to get elected because of certain things they thought they were going to get from him right and among them were um Evangelical Christians who as a block have voted Republican over the years who were kind of skeptical of Trump until he basically was extremely transactional, far more so than anybody else who's been running for the White House in, in you know, since, since I've been paying attention and saying, all right, look, I will give you exactly the judges you want. Here's my list. And and he put out the list. He literally put out a list of the people <laughs> he would draw from, you know, for the Supreme Court, the United States Supreme Court. Not only that, he said to the Federal Society and its allied groups, "Look, I don't really care who the judges are going to be. Just you know, give me the names, and I'll and I'll approve them." And that's exactly what has happened, right? And so, right. and and that
1: would not have happened
0: with a Jeb Bush, or a Marco Rubio, or a John Kasich. Granted, most of the names. Would have been which in. Be
1: on the list. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, there are very few people that the Federal Society were going to put up that Jeb Bush would say no to, and vice versa. Uh, I do think that that Jeb or Kasich or or Rick Perry any of those guys would be a little bit more hesitant about putting people who are rated unqualified <laughs> by the ABA, yeah, you know, on, on a federal bench, which is literally has been happening uh, under under President Trump. So, you know, that's. Those are some of the folks who saw Trump as a useful idiot before the election. Um, also, there was Vladimir Putin, saw yep. him as a useful idiot. Not necessarily to win. No one thought he was going to win. Not even them. But he was going to he was going to wreak chaos, and that was a, a useful goal in and of itself. You know, for the Russians and for and for Putin, um, wrecking our alliances with NATO nations, with the European Union, with Japan, with South Korea. You name it. All the damage that the president has done with those relationships inures to the benefit of russia and putin right and so you know he's I- incredibly useful in terms of advancing putin's goal um as to our our own americans goals well you know that's uh <laughs> that's another issue entirely
1: <laughs> why uh, why now and what's the book about why do you think it's important now and what is it about
0: I'll tell you why I really got serious about writing this. And, and as I write in the preface, I didn't really want to write this book. All right. I mean, I've written, I, I i love writing novels. Okay. Because in the end, you can make the bad guy get his comeuppance, right? You can, you can make right. sure that a tiger shark eats him. You can make sure that he uh, has a bad encounter with a, with a annoyed badger, you know, as I put in the, in the preface. Um, in, in nonfiction, you, you, you write what, what real life is there and, and that's not always fun. And it's a lot like the day job. And so there's no real getting away from that when you're, when you're doing this. I will say that my two previous nonfiction books, the biographies of um, biographies of uh, Jeb Bush and Bob Graham, both Florida politicians, I, uh, I didn't hate writing. I enjoyed writing those two because I, I admired both of the individuals. Um, I personally didn't agree with, with Jeb, view, uh, Jeb Bush's view of the world but he worked hard. He's smart. He didn't insult people all the time. He he took the job seriously, and so in the end, it was uh, you know it was a good experience to write that. This is very different. You know, I uh, I did not know anything about Donald Trump at all until mm. at all until 20, 2006 when I first saw him at a fundraiser in Florida for Charlie Crist, who was running for governor at the time, and he talked about the ceiling moldings and the tile he just put in and the hangings that he'd gotten and look at that chandelier do you know how much that chandelier cost and he went on for like 20 minutes describing the room we were standing in at mar-a-lago and then how great his television show was and everyone in the country was watching his tv show and charlie you've watched my show too right he you know and chris just nodded and Chris never said one word during that entire thing. Now you, you know how it goes at fundraisers. Normally, you know, you know, the guy introduce, yes, I do. introduces the candidate, and uh, and then and the candidate gives a speech, and so on. None of that happened. It was just Donald Trump talking about his his renovations at Mar-a-Lago and about his television show. And Charlie Crist just standing there nodding. And I thought, what the hell was that? And I thought, well, at least I never have to deal with this person again. You know, that was, you
1: know. I had a similar, I got to share a similar, I was doing a piece in New York for America's Most Wanted and Trump was coming out of Trump Tower at the time and I needed to get a sound bite from him for, and that's the only time I talked to him prior to him being, you know, running for office or, or you know, coming into the forefront politically. And I, I got, um, I, I needed a, you know, basically 30 seconds of sound and I got a 20 minute dissertation on <laughs> <laughs> on the price of uh, real estate in Manhattan, which sure. had nothing to do with the story. Right.
0: <laughs> but you're you're a better person for it, though, aren't you? I <laughs> have <Yeah>. learned that. <laughs> I, I, left,
1: I left that with this. I remember turning to the crew going, what the hell was that? Yeah. <laughs> and praying yeah. I never had to deal with him again. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, but the thing is, right? I mean, so, and then when he runs for president, I said, I, I, uh, I thought, well, maybe he's more of a serious person than, than I gave him credit for back when I saw him. And then I saw his speech as he came down the escalator. And I, I literally thought this was a joke. You know, the, uh, a lunatic had written this and, and given it to him just as, as, uh, for publicity's sake and, and went to his first event in New Hampshire. and It was the same thing. He just insulted all the reporters there. He read off his polls. That was all, that was his campaign. And I thought, you know, this is this is absurd. This is not going anywhere, and this is going to collapse. And as soon as the other candidates get serious, that'll be that. And uh, you know, and I can cover Jeb and and uh, and Rubio and the <laughs> others have not have to pay any attention to this guy. In fact, I had to twist the arm of my editor, National Journal, where I was at the time, to uh, let her to get her to persuade persuade her to let me stay an additional day to do Trump's event because it was seen as such a ridiculous thing. That why am I wasting company money on this man? And I told her, "Look, it's a hundred extra dollars to change the ticket, another hundred and fifty for you know hotel." And said, "Fine, but this is the last story we're ever doing on this." <laughs> you know,
1: so, so you thought, <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly. Little did we all know. <laughs> um, so that's why you wrote it. What's it about? What's What's the story about? This Is the first one? I think the first book to drop. Uh, about Trump during COVID. So uh, Absolutely. that's yeah, that's of great interest to me. But yeah. uh, what's it about? It, it,
0: it's about, number one, uh, his utter mismanagement of the coronavirus, complete from the first day to what's going on right now. He has, in turn, uh, ignored the intelligence. I mean, here's the thing. You remember like uh, a year ago when the hurricane was coming uh, up the uh, Florida coast, and he decided to say decide to put Alabama into the mix. Yeah, Remember that? It, yeah, he, Hurricane yeah, Nora, and Alabama. A... Right, right. So he, he basically, for fun, almost uh, added drew like Al- Alabama into the episode for no good right. reason at all. And and the thing was, uh, what the White House people thought it was a big joke. They thought, isn't this crazy? This is like. This is just getting under the press's skin. It's just triggering them. Isn't this wonderful and funny? I remember one aide even had a chart of, of the hurricane trapping map. And Hogan
1: w- was Trump- it? Hogan. <laughs> I'll, I'll name uh, him because I, I've written yeah. about this. <laughs> yeah. Hogan and thought it was uh, hilarious.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And my thinking then, which I included in an essay I wrote about Trump's dishonesty, which came out back in January, was, you know, a hurricane is one thing because we have satellites, we have images where the hurricane is, where we have trained meteorologists who are the lead on this and people listen to them, unless you're out of your mind and listen to, to the president's you know, Twitter forecast right. instead. But we have six, seven, eight hurricanes every year that uh, may hit us, come close to hitting us, actually hit us. What happens when there's a real crisis that only the president can deal with? That the one person in America who gets to the president's daily brief every day, and that information is in there. What happens when Trump has a situation like that? When there isn't a national, a hurricane center as a fallback, there isn't, you know, FEMA to automatically jump
1: in. Oh, I can and, answer that. I take no responsibility at all. That's yeah, where we landed.
0: That is exactly where we landed. So that's why. Uh, I, I started getting, you know, all the books that are out there are, are great from describing the, the infighting in the White House and, uh, and, you know, Trump's core nature, et cetera, et cetera. But what was missing was this matters, man, this stuff matters <laughs> to what's happening to actual people. And the day he went out there and said that, you know, we really ought to look into injecting the disinfectants directly into the lungs. And, you know, get that very powerful light into the body somehow. And we'll have medical doctors look into... I thought, you know what? This is... He's gone. beyond... Yeah, this is insane. This is literally insane. And, you know... um, Well, look
1: where we are now. He's defending the actions of a 17-year-old white boy with a gun, unregistered, acting as a vigilante, murdering, allegedly, murdering two people. Now, if that's not going to empower vigilantism across this country against people of color or people whose last names are Karam or Date I don't know what it is it's frightening to me how I see I always thought you know I said from were you there for the first press briefing with Sean I was pooled that day it was like I was was there that day (laughs) When they came out and said, the size of the crowd is not, I knew exactly where this administration was going. And I told everyone who would listen, I go, you cannot believe a word that's coming out of them about anything ever. And uh, it's gone and and they've been true to form ever since. If it's, Mm -hmm. he's, He's going to lie, and he's so desperate, I say, but this is in my current column, I, I say he's so desperate for affection, he'd give the devil a reach around. I mean, he doesn't care if, if this is a vigilante or if it's a QAnon supporter. He, he yearns and craves someone to like him.
0: That's exactly it. I mean, you don't send love letters to the murderous dictator of North Korea. That's not a thing right. that has normally happened in United States foreign policy. Right.
1: I'm, I'm just, just saying, you know, that's I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that one. <laughs> it's the fresh atrocity of the day. <laughs> All the and that's one thing. This the news cycle for this administration turns over so quickly because it, he's trying to obfuscate so much that he's, you know, don't look at the right hand, look at the left hand, by the way, look at the right hand, don't look at the left hand. And so it's just, it's a chaos of churning of, of endless sound bites. And so you forget one atrocity trying to cover, I've got probably, I, I keep a list of questions and issues and I've got easily a thousand items on that on that list of stuff <laughs> I've never gotten answers to or they've completely forgotten and, and swept under the rug. Right. So is, yeah, in, it, in, in your book, tell me where, where, what you touch on. Well,
0: obviously, the, you know, the coronavirus pandemic, uh, the president's response to it is, is what makes this absolutely topical. But we, this didn't happen by accident, right? I mean, Donald Trump did not appoint himself president. There were no. uh, 63 million human beings who decided, after seeing Trump behave the way he behaves, For a year and a half that, yeah, I'm going to put this guy in charge of the nuclear (laughs) codes and, and, uh, and put this person and make him responsible for the armed forces of the United States for the, uh, the clean running of our government. And, and I'm okay with that. And, you know, that's, that's on us, man. That's yes, it is in, in, in a representative democracy. We ultimately are responsible for the stuff that happens, um, and we collectively are responsible for this. Yeah, so, I,
1: I don't say he—he's not a cause; he's a symptom of the problems in the U.S. I think. They, they yeah, back yeah. Reagan, right? But and I and
0: I, and, I, and I think that part of it is uh, because we are such a big country. Because we have such a—you know—people will flip out when I say this. Well, we have such a non-corrupt, well-functioning bureaucracy a lot of times it doesn't matter who the president is, right? I mean, when when George W. Bush was elected in in 2000 and Al Gore was the opponent, the the Republic was not in danger regardless of who was elected, right? Uh, I think a lot of people say, well, Gore probably would have been a better president, probably would have handled um, 9-11 with more maturity, uh, possibly. I think the same could have been said in 2008, you know, uh, McCain and, and yeah. uh, Obama are very different people. The Republic wasn't in danger, regardless. And this was the first time in my lifetime, right? The first time, certainly since I've been president, uh, since I've been a journalist, that that the, who became president or who became governor of a state mattered Matter. immensely, right? And and uh, why this wasn't obvious to everybody, I'm well. There's I'm a book in that.
1: That, that there's a book in that demystifying why people like donald trump yeah. and uh i have relatives and in-laws and man they they swear it's a cult it yeah. in, in some regards and they don't right. i i when you try to bring facts into it sometimes they will acknowledge the facts but still in their mind will justify donald trump even yeah. though it stands contrary to the facts that they know exist
0: yeah and and i get into that quite a bit in the in the history of of how the Republican Party got to be where it is, you know. Uh, where do you
1: maintain uh, that it is? Well,
0: in, in, uh, in the 1930s and 1940s and 1950s, the Republican Party was the party of, of um, you know, desegregation and bringing civil rights to African Americans after the Civil War. Abraham Lincoln uh, died because he, he ended slavery and freed, uh, you know, uh, African Americans in this country so Teddy Roosevelt was a progressive absolutely so there's what happened in 1954 with the uh, Brown v Board of Education that was the kind of the first shot in 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 the next 20 years or so Uh, there were a lot of southern Democrats who were incredibly agitated by that by that ruling Uh, we had the invention of these these all-white Christian schools in the south and over the next 20 years as LBJ pushed the civil rights act um, the trend of of, of, Dixie of Kratz white went to
1: the republican Dix, party
0: well yeah and it, they yep. didn't just go richard nixon like invited them wanted them right this was the southern strategy this is yes. what uh, kevin Phillips wrote about and
1: exactly yeah
0: right and so and it mean, was and,
1: not eisenhower's republican party no that absolutely was Eisenhower. not i think that with goldwater it began kind of with goldwater Nixon solidified it with his Southern strategy, and then Ronald Reagan drove it home and set the table that gave us uh, Donald Trump. Right, but the difference there is that every single one of them, Nixon
0: included, understood that this was a constituency to uh, pander to come election time, and then kind of pretty much ignore after that because what they wanted was not what a decent society wants. Right, I mean, they literally wanted uh to resegregate public schools, yeah, that is what they wanted during the 1960s. That is what they wanted in 1968. eight uh, That is why a bunch of them actually voted for George Wallace, and so the republican the mainstream Republican party winked and nodded and dog whistled at their uh, at their prejudices, and then once they got into office, kind of said, well, you know well- um
1: I'll take an issue with, I think Reagan was the first to begin to pay attention to him. He not only empowered them, but some of the things he did when he became president did pander to them, not to the extent that the Bushes, not the first Bush, but the second Bush, and now Trump have pandered to them. But I think he cracked the door open for that. I mean, remember Bitburg and when he went to Germany and right. he said some of the things that Trump has been famous, you know, not everybody's a bad person. Uh, and I mm-hmm. mean that, that comes. There were a lot of Reaganisms in in some of the stuff that Trump says. So I I, I agree with you to a point. I, I mean, yeah. I think Nixon Nixon used everybody, so mm-hmm. he didn't give a shit. But he did know what a he or had an idea of what a, a decent society was. I wouldn't say that he, yeah, uh, empowered.
0: Well, it was, look, it was Nixon's DOJ that went after Donald Trump and his dad, yeah, or right exactly. for uh for. Refusing to rent apartments to black people, so yeah. you know Nixon created the Nixon. EPA. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: he created the EPA. Yeah, I mean, so there was a a lot of progressive and mainstream ideas in in that Nixon White House. Um, I will say that one 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 anecdote that I have in the book uh, in in that chapter is I was at the Iowa State Fair back in '15, right when um, when all the Republicans were going out there and they were going in. It, yeah, in the Moines Fairgrounds, they're going to the butter cow exhibit and eating all kinds of fried nonsense and so and on, that. As, <laughs> as one does at the Iowa State Fair. And Trump came and you know, gave his helicopter rides. And uh, I thought, well, this is, this is novelty. This is people, people like him because he's unusual and he's giving helicopter rides and uh, this will fade. And then I was, I was in that line where people dropped their corn kernels right to vote. This is their straw poll that they do. Um, to determine who's going to win the Iowa um, State Fair, you know, straw poll. And I was just kind of overhearing these people who were going to vote for Trump. And you know what they talked about? Getting the illegals out of our country. And the reason was, if they stay, their kids are U.S. citizens. You know, and if that happens, then they're just going to drag all their family over into the states. And then Democrats will win every single election and we'll never have a Republican in the White House again. And it's them illegals that we need to stop. And those that are here, we need to kick out. And Donald Trump is the only one who's got the guts to say that. So I'm, I'm writing all this down, listening to these guys. They don't know that I'm that I'm a reporter. I'm standing right. in the shade of a tree, right? And and then after they go and vote, I, I, I run them down and say, hey, look, um, I, I saw that you just voted and I, I think you voted for Trump. Could I talk to you? And um, they didn't want to give their names. And I asked them you know, the basic things, where are you from, et cetera, and, and, and I asked them, well, why? Uh, why did you vote for Trump? And it's oh, because he tells it like it is. You know, he's a good businessman. He's uh, he's not he's not going to be politically correct. And so, well, does illegal immigration have anything? What part does immigration, illegal immigration, play play in your decision making? Well, not really, not at all. You know, and they have just been talking about it. So this is like, this is, you know, this is the reality of a lot of core Trump supporters is that uh, they do want the really xenophobic kind of get out of our country stuff that Donald Trump says openly. And uh, and he's the only one among the candidates who would do that. Right, and then they lie on his lies. Um, And, And then when you've got 15 other people running, that gets you to 25, 30% of the Republican electorate. That's not That's all
1: he needed. Right. There was something you said in the book. Um, for starters, he only occasionally takes intelligence briefings. I, I, yeah. I, I'm going to take, uh, take issue with that. I don't know that he's ever done that. <laughs> I, I I think he does, but occasionally, I, I, I think rarely. I mean, anymore. In the beginning, he was taking them. It regularly, but I have friends or sources in the intelligence community who say you can't even talk to the man and he doesn't take these briefings anymore. Um, yeah,
0: <clears throat> I'm going to um, give them the benefit of the doubt that when they actually put it on the schedule, that he's at least made the motions of having one that day. Now, yeah. I've been keeping very careful track of this. Uh, I built a database going all the way back to the start of the administration. And as you say, there were typically three or four per week, and they're given, you know, on weekdays. Um, in the first year. In the first three or four months. You know when wow. it ended? It stopped happening on a regular basis the week that he fired Comey. That's right. Like, within two days after that. That's right. Um, you're
1: absolutely right. I yeah. Can, I've been keeping track of that as well. And I think you're right. I, I didn't – I, it was Comey. I thought it was longer than three or four months. I thought it was yeah. close to the year. But since We're, then, it, on a very seldom, seldom does he ever do a briefing. And that I'll tell you correct. what else is, the other thing that is noticeable to me, and they've tried to lie about it on a number of occasions, but the Marines don't lie. When that Marine Corps guard is out in front of the West Wing, the president <laughs> is in the West Wing. Correct. When the Marine Corps guard is not there. The president is not there, no matter that what they correct. say to the contrary. And I confirm that with the Marines who point blank told me he's lying. We can't yeah. say that openly, but he's right. lying. So yeah. if you on days that I go to the White House and I'm getting down there once a week now, during, mm-hmm. during COVID, seldom do you see a Marine Corps guard there.
0: That is that is correct. Yeah, and and on days that I have pool, I'll be there at you know eight, uh, eight seven. Sometimes uh, and there's never a Marine, you no, know, in front of the West Wing at that time. No. And rarely is there one there before noon. Yes, I mean, that's, that's exactly
1: a, right. Yeah, I the, the, can count on one hand the number right. of times in the last six months when there's been one there before noon. If there is one there before noon, that's usually because there's something public going on right. in the White House before noon. Otherwise, yeah, you're not going to see him. He's in the residence watching television and tweeting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's
0: that simple. I mean, but, what you see is what you get. I mean, it, it, there's no big secret here. I mean, he, when when you see him like live tweeting denial, on Fox, but,
1: Yeah. Correct. Yeah. There's a lot of denial, but there's, I mean, the, what killed me was last Sunday, he's tweeting out, we want God. While I know mm-hmm. at the same time, he's on the back nine at his own golf course. Yes. And so I was like, what are you looking for God on the back nine? What I you mean we <laughs> yeah. me want God? You don't ever go to church. <laughs> the yeah. hypocrite, the hypocrisy. <laughs> <laughs> we got to take a short break, and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the book. And, of course, I really want to talk a little bit about Covering this White House, so <laughs> when we come back, <laughs> uh, okay, here we go. In three, two, one. Hi, I am your host Brian Carroll. The name of the show is Just Ask the Question. With me is fellow White House <laughs> correspondent Sharif who has a great book out. I've, i and I confess, I, I, you sent me all of it. I've only gotten through three chapters because I've only had it a day. But it, I, <laughs> <laughs> but I do love it. <laughs> and the title of the book. And he is the useful idiot and there's really nothing more we could say about Donald Trump other than that um, the subtitle is longer, but i like I like the title of the book um, but I wanted to ask you your experiences in the White House briefing room how often are you getting there now? I go only when I have pool so once a month
0: and then I'm traveling uh about also you know once every five weeks or so you know
1: on on the plane so it's so Not that much anymore. So, the, yes, but you've made your time count. The last time you were in the, <laughs> the White House, you asked a question that uh, only a few others of us have asked, and I like the way you framed it, and I love <laughs> the question. <laughs> would you like to repeat it? or you, you want, I don't want to quote it, but, I mean, I will, but you said it, so I, I give it to you. What would you ask him, for those who don't know? Uh, I, I asked him.
0: After three and a half years, does he regret all the lying that he's done to the american people and um uh, he i guess at first he, maybe he didn't hear or was
1: i don't think he heard he so I to repeated
0: repeat. it a little louder yeah. and then i then he asked, asked me that who has done yeah as if i'm <laughs> who, who the hell else I'm covering <laughs> you. pal. <laughs> <laughs> So, I, I made clear that yes, in fact, I was asking you, sir, Mr. President, how, in the lying that you've done. And then he decided he wanted to take a question about the payroll tax instead. And so you know, that was that. Yeah.
1: He was nicer to you than I, I asked him that out on the South Lawn one day, but I prefaced it as saying, What do you say to your Democratic opponents who say yeah. you're an pathological liar? Yeah. And, and he looked at me and he goes, And I thought he was going to say F you, but he goes, news <laughs> he, yeah he went yeah on. it's not anything that he ever likes to address well let me say I
0: mean it, I tried to ask that question about four or five months ago and I made the mistake of prefacing it with there's a new there's a new poll out that shows that your credibility is really bad it is like down in the 20s or something and as soon as I said the word poll he jumped he all, all over crazy. the question, right? Yeah. And he says, well, those are fake polls. I have much better polls and I'm winning every <laughs> single one of them and Sleepy Joe Biden and fake news <laughs> yeah. and yeah, no, 96% in the Republican Party. And then after about three or four minutes of just going on with that, he you know, asked someone else for a, a nicer question. And and so I, I learned from that, right? No yeah. preface, just,
1: <laughs> well, you know, so was, <laughs> I've talked about that often. With And I remember i John Decker and I had this conversation and Peter Alexander and some of the other correspondents when you're, and I think uh, Blake at uh, at Fox and we're out on the South Lawn and yeah. I'm used to, if you're in a press briefing situation, being able to give a preface and context to your question and a president having presence of mind enough to sit through 30 seconds. Right, but This president doesn't. And Everything now is reduced to what you have to do on the South Lawn, which is ask a blunt question in 15 words or less and keep his attention and don't give him the trigger words that he desires. <laughs> so he can, like Paul. Yeah, like Paul. <laughs> right. Well, the other one is um, right. I've been trying to ask about uh, bounties on American soldiers yeah. And the first time I asked that, I asked it about Russian bounties on him, mm-hmm. and so he went off on no one's been tougher on Russia, blah, blah blah. So he was able to. And then the right. second time I asked it, I took the word Russian out, and I just said, "Are you concerned about bounties on American soldiers?" And I actually got more of an answer. So yeah, mm-hmm. you have to be wary of his 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 uh, trigger words, yeah. so he doesn't <laughs> go off and 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 down his you know path of destruction that he's. Yeah but, but that's that's our president. One of the yeah. things I want to ask you about being so you're in there once a month or every 5 weeks traveling. That um we have been criticized the press has been criticized often for the way we cover this president. And I defend publicly it's a very tough job to do. Um particularly during a covid crisis where there are only 14 of us allowed in that briefing room. So mm-hmm. you can't when there's 75 or 80, when I was talking to Joe Lockhart about this and they have briefings, you're able to, um, reporters can triangulate and corner and cover each other. You know, like I could ask a question, you would follow up, someone else would follow up on you. And that's when Lockhart said he got really uh, nervous is when reporters who are smart started doing that. And mm-hmm. you can't, it's harder to do it with a Kaylee McEnany briefing because she's going to, speak for 10 minutes. There are only 14 reporters there. Some of them are the younger reporters who don't have a whole lot of experience. Right. And then she'll take a question or two and she's going to kick it back to stop in at her, you know, her one stop at OANN or somebody that, or whoever else is Fox or somebody she knows she can count on for a decent question. So you going to get in that five minute statement and then drop the mic and walk out. So it's harder for us to do the job. All of that being said, I've also said, I don't think we've done a very good job covering this president and asking the hard questions. And you as a member of the press in that briefing, where do you fall on that? Yeah, well,
0: it's impossible, I think, to rely on asking questions and getting answers when the people you're asking them don't care whether they lie or not right? I mean, that's, that's the fundamental precept here is, is we count on the people we elect, the people who run the government, the people who um, serve the public by relaying the information from that government to tell the truth to the best their, to their abilities, right? And, and there used to be a sense of shame that if you lied, you were going to be humiliated and you would have to go apologize and explain why it is that you said this thing that was not true. You know, I remember in the Bush years, you know, and, and in the Obama years, when something was said that was incorrect, you know, from uh, an official source, it would be bad, and they and they would worry about how to deal with it, and uh, and it would, they would they would be upset that their credibility had been hurt, and there is none of that, no. none of that whatsoever right now. It's almost like a badge of honor that they've lied and they've lied openly and gotten away with it. And what are you gonna do about it? You know, and um, how do you sell so, that? Right. I mean, it, it, it's impossible. And the only way to cover it is to ignore it to the extent that you have other reporters covering things. And The Times does a fantastic job. So does The Post covering the, the intelligence community and, um, you know, what's going on overseas and the, the State Department. And some of the best stories out of this administration have come from people who are covering DHS, you know, from from Border Patrol, from things that have are not coming out of the White House. And that is because the, all those agencies are subject to FOIA. The White House right. isn't, right? So I know for a fact, just doing the math, that millions of dollars of American tax money has gone into Donald Trump's pockets. Like, by when he travels to Ireland to play golf at his own resort, there are a bunch of Secret Service agents who are staying with him. Um, and, and they're his, charging... And his, And they're charging top dollar and we all collectively are paying how much exactly the white house won't say, right? So you've got to play this game and we have to find, you try to get that information from the state department, if it's overseas or from the secret service and they drag their feet on, on filling those, those records requests. They, uh, they black out half the information because to protect their, you know, the people they're, they're, they're protecting. So, you know, it's, it's, we have a system where so much of it relies on the honor system right? So much of it relies on wanting to do the right thing, that when you elect someone who has, doesn't care about that at all, and staffs the White House with people who don't care about that at all, here we are. Yeah, We, have, we just had the Republican National Convention Ugh. on White House grounds, okay? On White House
1: on grounds. grounds. With probably, what, maybe a thousand violations of the Hatch Act, all those federal employees. I mean, everyone who- right. did, ticket, everyone who absolutely who, who put a seat down, everyone yeah. who attended that was a federal employee, all of those are are direct violations of the Hatch Act. And when right. I talked to uh, Norm Eisen about it this week, I said, hey, you, you think anybody will ever be prosecuted for that? He goes, no, no, because this administration doesn't care. And, right. and they have pigeonholed and forced people to violate Hatch Acts. You work for me, you show up. And so, right. you know, all those people have to show up. Yeah, those, know, chairs,
0: take, those chairs didn't arrange themselves, no. right, out on
1: the, uh, out on the lawn. They um, tried that once. It didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> That's where they placed all of us. I was there for that press briefing out on the White House lawn when they put 20 chairs in the Rose Garden right next to each other, and we just moved them. <laughs> it was, right. Yeah, it's like, hey, I love you, but six feet, baby. <laughs> yeah. I will take issue with, I think there has been, and it was a notable exception. One person in this administration did apologize for something that was said, but it was because it was so egregious that I don't think that there was any way not to. And that was when Sean Spicer was giving briefings. And he said, at least Hitler never killed his own people. And I, that I is said, true. I said yeah. Sean, he gassed the Jews. And yeah. he goes, Oh, yeah, that's right. And then later, <laughs> later he came out and apologized for that. But that is the only time I've ever seen anyone in this administration in the last three and a half years apologize for anything
0: that right Hunter said, right. And, and you know, and he he did the right thing by apologizing. But that was a flippant remark, right? Yeah. That wasn't a a, a division, detail right. that they're trying to hide. That right. they're that they're. Right. Yeah, I,
1: it, it, but at least that was at least that, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I could see Kaylee coming out today and going, well, you know, there's no real proof that the US. <laughs> <laughs> and the president isn't going to comment on that. And yeah. we don't want to get ahead of the president on that, which always right. means they have no idea what to say. They're just wanting to avoid legal entanglements. Yeah. Um, how many, who was the first president you covered?
0: Well, you know, I've covered uh, lots of different things the first president like covering the absolute covering the white house was was obama right uh prior to that though i mean I, when i covered nasa i would deal with the administration of uh, bill clinton and then with uh for a while with uh, george w bush when i came back to cover it for uh after the uh, after the columbia accident so you know i don't have that much dc experience but i have a lot of experience in dealing with the agencies and you know, from, from afar. I mean, I've spent 20 years in Florida. Yeah. So, you know, um, I've never seen anything like this. You know, I've literally gotten these ridiculous emails from some, you know, 23-year-old junior flack at DHS uh, writing me a, a Stephen Miller type tirade about my question. And it's a factual question that I asked. You know, there is a factual answer yeah. to it. You know, just tell me the
1: damn... <laughs> Just <laughs> right? No, it's not your job to lecture me on how to do my job. Yeah, right. Well, that's that. that I got. I've gotten into a with that uh, on that issue many times, and that was the first time I got into it with with uh, Sarah Sanders, and I said, "Look, any one of us are replaceable. You're here to answer our questions. These are legitimate questions. Just answer the questions." And they they. It's like uh, Katie Miller when they came out at the beginning of this coronavirus epidemic, and I had a very simple question, very relevant. <laughs> Can the uninsured get tested and not have to worry about it? You know, health insurance, if you have and, and, uh, they wouldn't answer it and they still yeah. can't answer it. They still haven't. I want to go back to something that was said, were you there? Um, when Alex Azar had the very first briefing about the coronavirus and it was in, um, the Eisenhower office building in the, uh, um, Uh, auditorium Mm -hmm. I was not I was not there but I I do remember the briefing yeah it was there were about a hundred of us there and there were three or Mm -hmm. four people up on stage and I remember I was talking to Steve Holland from Reuters afterwards and I said what do you think of this briefing Steve and he said something to me that chilled me because I'll never forget he said this is the first time I've come out of a briefing feeling worse than going into the briefing (laughs) he said they have no handle on what is going to happen and that was the day before the first death was announced mm-hmm. and the numbers that Azar gave that day so far have proven to be accurate and I remember I picked it you know I picked a couple of things out of what was said and and what they had what they had promised and what I for the life of me can't understand is how you can call it a hoax for, and uh, were you there that day on this lawn when he said it's a hoax and that was actually that same day. Trump left that afternoon to go to a South Carolina rally and called it a hoax on the South. He right. said it'll be over with soon. Right, that was uh, like very late in February and um, February 28th I believe.
0: Yeah, he went he went to South Carolina, North Charleston I think it was and he said that you know this is their latest hoax. This is like their Ukraine uh, impeachment and the Russia hoax. This is their now they're doing this. And I remember people wrote that story up and, and the next day, you know, all the, the RNC and the campaign, Oh no, no, he didn't say the virus is a hoax. It was the treatment. It's like, you know, guys, well, you know, come on, man, yeah. come on. Yeah. Um, and, and, and this is where we still, and, and a couple of months ago, he just got bored. The president got bored of dealing with this and he wants to move on. You yeah. know, they, they scheduled a rally in June right? In June, they schedule it in a city where the numbers are already
1: increasing. So I don't, what what I've seen. Where do you even start? Yeah. Well, I think your book points out some of that very, very well, but I think you can always, with Trump, I think it all boils down to what you said. I think he's bored. I've seen him as low energy lately. He doesn't have the same, you know, uh, energy that he had earlier on in his administration, even when he's coming out and reading stuff. He reads the same thing over and over again, sticks to the same talking points, much as he did during the uh, RNC. But I take it back to something that he said. I asked him a question. I said, is it your opinion or contention that people have an opinion contrary to yours that they should be sued? And he said, well, when they get the opinion totally wrong, as the New York Times did, yes. So he I think if there is a second term for this guy, yeah. I think it does not bode well for for us or others covering him. What do you think?
0: Yeah, it's, you know, I guess we're lucky in that you know, libel suits, et cetera, happen in state courts and not in federal. Um, so you know, there's just all kinds of consequences that Americans need to understand if there's a second term. I mean, he's doing all these things now. He extorted Ukraine to help him win, okay? That is the word we're looking for, extortion. Extortion. If you don't do this for me, I will not give this to you, right? That's what the crime is. It's in the U.S. code. Um, He begged uh, Xi Jinping to help him win the election by buying more stuff. He, He is openly, openly violating the idea that you don't use public resources for campaigning. He's doing it every day, right? He's doing it every day. Every single one of these so-called official events he's going out to, he's campaigning. He starts and immediately jumps into campaign type remarks. What do you think is going to happen when he doesn't have to face any consequence whatsoever in his second term? He never has to face the voters again. What is to restrain him? He's already being impeached and the Republicans refuse to touch him. What's going to happen? Um, Good question.
1: The bigger question that you bring up is, what do you think the long-term effects of the United States are on our allies and internationally because of him? Well, you know, I think we have a
0: window to make things right. Uh, Because I – in the first couple of years, I would talk to uh, ambassadors and military folks from other countries, and they were like, well, we can – we can still talk with our people at our levels, right? We, at, the, at the staff level, at the directorate level, and, and things are kind of okay. And in about year two and a half, year three, I got to say, well, you know, one more year of this and we're just gonna wait it out. There's nothing can be done right now. But I, I do think that he is seen as an aberration that uh, people around Europe certainly Perhaps the rest of the world see this as a giant mistake we've made, and that we and that and that and are counting on us to correct it, right? And so a lot depends on what happens in uh, in November. It was funny. I went, when I, I went out to cover the NATO meeting, and then the, uh, the the G7 meeting in 2017, and I you know I'd been in Italy on, on one of my on that on that big sailing trip it, back when Obama got elected, right? So I wanted to be there. Uh, then And talk to place uh, people in those same places and see what they thought. Because they loved Obama. They loved the idea that America would elect someone like Barack Obama. And they, I remember uh, a bookstore owner in Milan looking at me. He's like, how could you do this? You're the United States of America. Like, you have a responsibility. Yeah, we elected Berlusconi, but we're just Italy. What does yeah. it matter what we do? You know? You guys are
1: important. Was this when you were in Italy.
0: Within- well. The- this this last time was uh was in 2017 when i went to cover the G7 in, in ah. sicily a little later but the time before that was uh on on the sailing trip with uh with my sons we we were in italy for the winter of 2009 2010 I was, we traveled around quite a bit
1: i was in uh yeah. italy in 2018 my wife and i uh-huh. an extended vacation cuz i had to get away <laughs> yeah was driving me nuts. and we were in a a shop and it was um uh, I can't remember where it was. Uh, Florence, I think it was. And We're in a, a little shop. Buying a. am buying a tie. And the guy looked at me, and he said, the only thing your president knows is to have a long tie. He stinks other than that. Why did you do this? And I'll, I, for the life of me, I can't understand why we elected him and continue to do what we do with him.
0: I lost you um and it's probably me cuz when I plugged into the hard wire it, it was fine. Okay. Uh, I lost you at the you're talking about um you're in the store in Firenze. Oh uh, yeah.
1: Commenting on the, the tie. Yeah. Yeah, and the guy said uh, <clears throat> the guy knows how to wear a long tie and other than that he's an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Why'd you do this to us? And right. I was like I I you know. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing man, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I got that one. I don't know. <laughs> We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. And we are back. Sarish, I guess we're going to close up today. I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. One, what do you want, what do you want, readers to take away from your book what's the bottom line bottom line is
0: democracy is fragile it takes work and we need to be careful about who we put into that office because it matters and it matters a lot you know the analogy I made was um, the airlines don't pay pilots two hundred thousand dollars a year to land the planes on sunny days with no wind Right? right. They pay them that much money to land them on for the day that the hydraulics fail. And then they get a bird strike, take out one wing, I mean, one, one engine. And then there's a thunderstorm and they're trying to land in a crosswind. That's the bad day. And that's why, you know, pilots are paid the way they're paid. The same thing with the president.
1: You are, need a president. Boy, are you, you implying that he can land an airplane on a sunny day with no wind?
0: I'm implying that the airplane can land itself on a sunny day okay. with no wind, right?
1: Because <laughs> I point, know it could.
0: <laughs> yeah. The point is that you need someone in the Oval Office who deals with the bad day that you can't even imagine, that you haven't even thought about. And that's the job of the president. And uh, I had a lot of folks on the campaign trail saying, I just want to break things, I want someone to go in and you know, knock over the table and I want to bull in the China shop and smash things and the system needs upending. Well, guess what? You got it. Yeah. All right. And, and 185,000 people are dead. So this is a big deal and it matters and people ought to, and
1: need to pay attention. And then the second question, I, I have to ask this, the blue water sailing. Tell me about that. Has that bring you peace to your life? Is that how you like to spend your time?
0: Absolutely. You know, um, Sometimes being on passage can be exhausting because, you know, someone has to be up all night. Uh, You need to take turns on night watches because you can't leave leave the boat go, you know, as you're making making way. Well, you do have autopilot, but the autopilot doesn't see ships on the horizon. And there's all kinds of things that someone needs to be awake. So it can be just brutally tiring and it can be the most rewarding thing ever. I remember one night on the way from Bermuda to the Azores, and there was a nice breeze. We were making probably six, seven knots, but the waves were small and the moon just started coming out and there was a crescent moon. And uh, I think it was Jupiter was out and the, the waves were so were relatively small enough that I could still see the reflections of both on the surface wow. of the water going all the way out there. Uh, and the Milky Way later on that night, you know, I brought my son who was only uh, nine years old at the time, brought him up top in the middle of the night, just to take a look because it was like magic. It was something. And that's, you know, what's one of the things you just you, know, you can't even imagine living on land that this right. such a thing is possible and, and such a thing is, you know, within within one's reach and on this planet. So
1: I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like fun to me. I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I, I, I like to ask everybody who's on this show is if uh if you had a a, a chance to ask the president of the United States any question you haven't asked him. And you and I are, a, <laughs> you and I are a different breed. Cause we, I I've tried to ask him everything that's ever been on my mind, but is there something you'd like to ask him that you haven't, that you think should be covered? No,
0: you know, because at, at this point, I understand that he's just going to say nonsense. Um, I mean, this is literally like trying to interview a toddler. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, what, what he says.
1: And and so, you know what? And I feel that way walking into the briefing room. I, it's like I fought so hard to keep my press pass so I could cover this president, and now I'm at the point where what's the point? I don't feel like I'm going to get an honest answer or even an a, a answer that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, and you know, this is not normal, right? This is no, not shit. normal. And and and, we as a society need to understand that this is this is. If we let this become the norm, you know we should give up and and move to nicer places because this is this is not going to work.
1: So, you got any place in mind? You're going to sail there, probably. Well, that's the best thing about a
0: sailboat is you know pretty much most of the world is within your reach. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How big is your sailboat? Uh, forty-four. Wow, you have forty-four. That's big.
0: Uh, it's big until you get into the open ocean, and then it looks and then like it's nothing.
1: Small. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. What's the roughest weather you've ever sailed through?
0: 20-foot uh, seas, uh, 45 knots, sustained, which you know, only lasted a couple of hours. So I, you know, we took care of the boat and then let the boat take care of us you know, for, the, for the rest of the gale. So You just batten down
1: the hatches, I guess. Yeah,
0: and then just put the boat in configuration so that you're not really trying to make any distance. Because, of course, it happened with the wind on the nose, so we weren't going to get anywhere uh, right. useful. So we were just trying to like ride it out and then make up for lost time later. How
1: do you ride a twenty? I mean, you've got to ride headlong into that wave, don't you? Not
0: completely headlong. About thirty degrees is best. You you know you you want you do want to take the wave, kind of on the bow. You never want to turn broadside sure. to it. Oh God. Uh, no yeah you know, so um stern's not bad i mean on on this on, on on my boat anyway, stern's not so bad and if if the wind is actually behind you, you can actually make some pretty good dis you know right, right. good speed <laughs>
1: yeah. So, uh, yeah well, yeah, if the winds that hit your back coming at, you, I imagine yeah, imagine you could just jet through that That's
0: well, something. yeah, we actually hit a gale on our way as we got close to Portugal, it was blowing force eight, which is about you know thirty uh, to forty knots uh somewhat higher gust, but it was on the, it was on a um kind of on the quarter so we were able to kind of roll downhill on the waves and the wind was keeping the sails filled and we made some we had like a 200 and some mile day over a 24-hour period and got around uh, Cabo Sao Vicente and all of a sudden the wind was gone and we were you know it was quiet again do
1: you when you sail across the Atlantic do you take a northern route so you can stay closer to land or you just take it straight across
0: yeah the boat's safer when you're staying away from land Right. That's the, like and when I was growing up, I think, yeah, I don't want to get out of sight of land. And then as soon as you get a boat and actually start learning more about this, you, you realize, no, that's the worst place to be is near land because you want to be in deep ocean. Um, when the water's shallow, that's where waves break. Yeah. So um, you, you're way better off when you've got two miles of water underneath you than when in, there's only like 150 feet.
1: Unless, of course, you can't swim. then. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter anyway. Right. No, that's so, true too. Uh, <laughs> you're yeah. gone that's well listen (laughs) go ahead
0: no no it's uh it's been it's been my pleasure uh being on your show brian thank you so much
1: Sharice. thank you and best of luck on the book man i i I recommend it to everyone and anyone um the name of the book of course is the useful idiot and we're not talking about anyone but president donald trump uh (laughs) thanks for joining us on the show hope to have you back soon I'd
0: love to be I'd love to be back. Thank you. Mm-hmm.